In our series, A String of Pearls, Dutch Buzz contributors speak to people who have made an exceptional contribution to our local community. People whose passion for what they do have had an added value for the city of The Hague. Dr. Uta Liemacher-Riebold is an intercultural language and communication consultant and trainer based in The Hague. She empowers internationals to thrive wherever they live by optimizing their communication skills while they maintain their linguistic and cultural background. A trained professional, academic and expert since birth herself, Uta combines the knowledge and experience of what it means to adapt and thrive in another country, to raise children and to constantly grow and evolve across cultures. In this series of The Hague Pills, she talks to Elena Kiola for Dutch Buzz. The first question that pops up in my mind now that we are slowly and hopefully emerging from the COVID-19 crisis is whether and how did this long period of uncertainty, um, a social isolation and lockdowns affect the communication of the internationals living abroad? Well, I think there are several aspects to consider. Let's start with maybe the the online connection and communication, which was a key and a lifesaver for many, I think. It's uh, very rare today to meet someone who is not screen savvy, right? And we are fortunate to have this mean of communication, actually. Uh, With this, I mean that um, internationals who move to the Netherlands, for example, as well as those who already live here, could connect and meet virtually, get to know each other and to some extent and also collaborate. Uh, We could stay connected also with family and friends abroad. And of course, if this all would have happened, I don't know, 20 years ago, we we would have suffered a bit more, I think, of uh, anxiety, loneliness and disconnection. So the sad uncertainty is difficult to handle. So especially when over an uncertain period of time and to an extent that is also uncertain, and um, it's like navigating across a stormy ocean in a nutshell or a very little boat. So if we focus on communication, many of us had the chance to stay connected with family and friends in other countries. But the great difference between how the whole situation was handled and the restrictions not being the same in all countries made it, I think, very difficult sometimes even to stay connected and to feel empathy. So, example, if uh, one can go to the cinema or the restaurant in one country and the other one is stuck in a small flat for weeks, there is so much discrepancy that it makes it really difficult to keep uh, connected and to feel normal or sane even. A concept that you have researched academically and you write about it extensively is that of the third culture kids, children. Uh, Can you maybe explain it in a nutshell? Is, well, an individual or those who are or were raised in a culture other than the parents or the culture of their country or nationality and who live or lived, because maybe they are older already, in a different cultural environment during a significant part of their child developmental years. So it's during the first 18 or 20, you can can decide. So there are many facets actually of it. And there are also cross-cultural kids, immigrant and refugee children. I think uh, we, we shouldn't make this difference too big. 
um, what we all have in common here is that we grow up abroad, that we are immersed in another culture and language for an extended time yeah, or periods of time. And for myself, it's uh, since birth. I'm an adult third culture kid, so to say, or adult in international, however you want to label me. <laughs> and um, like one of my blogs says, I'm an expat since birth, but there I use the term of expat in uh, the literal meaning, which is ex from Latin, outside, and patria or patriam, uh, that's uh, the fatherland or, or the passport country or country of origin. So with no privilege attached to it. <laughs> What I find important though for parents uh, who didn't grow up maybe in this way and who raise their children this way is to be aware what it means for their children. So, uh, of course, depending on the situation and the reason for them living abroad and the, the way the children also perceive their heritage, culture and language, they will develop a sense of belonging to the country or countries and culture or cultures they grew up in. And this can be one, two or more. I myself uh, felt like not belonging anywhere for many years, especially during my teenage years. I think it's very normal. But later I found that considering myself not neither fill in the blank nor fill in the blank, but rather not only, let's say, Italian, but also Dutch, for example. So that helped a lot. Some use the metaphor of uh, chameleon. Uh, Diane Lemieux, the author of The Mobile Life, used the one of a laptop compared to a desktop, so you can take it everywhere. Others uh, use the metaphor of an orchid, yeah, where the roots are in the air, so you can take it everywhere, it's not dependent on a soil, or a plant in a pot, so you can choose the metaphor that you like. Um, what, um, what we see often, so with the third cultural children or adults that were third cultural children, is this um, phenomenon of code switching. Um, can you maybe explain um, for our audience, yeah, how does it manifest in multilingual children or individual with that background? So with uh, international children, we, we also are internationals in general. I think we switch back and forth between cultures and languages, between different settings on a regular basis. It may be more often than if we would live in a very monocultural kind of setting. But to come back to this uh, code switching. So code switching means that we switch between codes and these codes can be languages or dialects uh, with the intention to optimize the communication. So very young children can, for example, recognize different languages and will also address people in the expected language if they have been exposed to it, of course, enough and if they were prompted to use the language so that they can actually respond verbally. For example, I, I would speak now, I as a grown up or a person would speak Italian with the person who speaks Italian, um, a German with a German one, French with a French one, uh, or any language that um, the person is used to speak with the other. So this code switching is intentional and depends on the person, the situation, the topic that we are talking about. Uh, 
We can also code switch between verbal language and non-verbal language, so sign language for example, so there is no limit to code switching. But there is also another kind of switching or uh, that has to do with the code. It's a code mixing and many people use them interchangeably, but actually code mixing is uh, rather what we do um, when we mix languages non-intentionally. Um, then we are spontaneous and it is a natural mixing of languages that multilinguals usually do when they speak with people who share the same languages. For example, I could say I'm going home with the feats yeah to someone who speaks english and dutch so respect replacing bicycle with the dutch word and uh, the communication would still flow because we both understand what i mean so most multilinguals actually code mix and code switch regularly it's very very normal it's perfectly normal and actually it's a very healthy way and a very healthy sign that we are processing and using the languages in the most effective way why that? Because if you look at it, even very young children code mix in a very proficient way. So to produce grammatically correct sentences that follow one of the two languages or the more languages that they are mixing. So like if I say I like the car bleu, it seems wrong, right? Not only because I, I use a French word, but the position is in the wrong place for English. But if I know that the child uses also French or speaks French, I know that in French it's uh, the syntax structure is right because you would say j'aime la voiture bleue. So the adjective follows the noun, so it's grammatically correct for French. So I like also to co compare uh, multilinguals or everyone who uses multiple languages with someone who has a set of Lego pieces uh, different shapes that are the nouns the adjectives verbs etc and uh, different colors so for each language a different color and what we like to do or where we really thrive is just using all the colors of, of the Lego pieces that we have. So we mix them and in the end we, we build this house or I don't know, whatever we want to build in that discussion or that conversation. So um, code switching and code mixing is actually processing the language at a very high level. What are some other characteristics of uh, intercultural communication? that, uh, I mean, your clients learn to navigate? So maybe I just share a few. <laughs> so there is, for example, the, the cultural and linguistic bias, because we all judge and categorize people within seconds, right? And that's a very natural way and has its reasons. But it can also mislead us. For example, it's not written on my forehead that I speak Italian and that I'm more Italian than German, for example, and that I speak French and Dutch and other languages. So what I want to say is that being aware that our cultural and linguistic backpack is not visible to everyone and that we need to explain it to others for communication and the connection to be effective is what many underestimate. So when it comes, for example, to new languages, culture always comes with language and language comes with its culture or cultures. I always encourage everyone to learn at least the basics of the language because we all know how important it is when we end up in a situation like we need to call someone or on the phone or we end up in a hospital 
or in any kind of situation that is unforeseen and uh, not very nice sometimes, it's important to be able to communicate at least the basic needs. What I also like uh, to approach this, this adjusting to the new is to look at what is similar, for example, with the language. Look what is similar to languages that you know already and build from there. And uh, generally speaking, I like to compare it with how we approach games. Yeah, when we, when we want to learn a new game, how do we approach this? There are three ways. I usually only quote the three, but there are many, many more. But these are the basic ones. Um, either you follow the instructions, yeah, you read the instructions and then you start, or you watch others who play the game and uh, then start maybe when you are ready. Or you jump in and learn by doing, by making a lot of mistakes. The important part is to find out what kind of a new player we are in all kinds of situations, whether it is about the culture or the language or any, any new situation. And we will be different players in different situations, which is also very interesting to see. <laughs> but I think it puts us in the, in the right mindset. Yeah, we, ha we, we go in with a certain sense of humor and we don't take ourselves too seriously. And especially when we think about the gaming um, in a healthy way, of course, this mindset always is, I always have a second turn. I always have a second chance. Yeah, if I make a mistake, I just laugh and I try it again. And it might be better the second time, maybe the 10th time, but who cares? In the end, what matters is that I try. So this is just a, a few examples. I wonder if you could reflect back on, on your experience working with clients. How would you describe their growth journey once they become more confident communicators? That's a nice question. Thank you. <laughs> well, I think everyone, everyone has his or her very own journey, right? And uh, what for others seems like maybe a very small step or nothing can be huge for this person. And I think we need to respect that and to, to acknowledge that. So I personally find every step when, whenever it happens and however big or impressive is fantastic. So we all need to communicate and connect, coming back to the communication and connecting. And we need connection to thrive. However, we can manage this and cope with unforeseen situations. So finding our very own and personal way is what I find is very important. That we have also the courage to find our own way. And even if it uh, lasts a bit longer, it, it takes a bit longer, who cares? Yes, and, and you know, I often use, and I believe most of us often use the term uh, expert bubble uh, when we find ourselves in and is living um, abroad. And this is something we use to describe our international experience. But based on what we've discussed already today, I realized that there are more than one bubbles. Yeah, people tend to say that international live in the expat bubble or international bubble or any kind of bubble. But first of all, there are more than one bubbles <laughs> we navigate in and uh, every per person does. There's a job bubble, there's a family bubble, there's uh, the playing tennis bubble, the Arabic language bubble, etc. So these bubbles are actually our safe place 
right? Our comfort zone. It's very daunting when we arrived in a new place and we don't know the language, we don't know anyone, uh, and we can very easily feel lost and lonely. So reaching out to people who speak our language, for example, or who do the same kind of sports that we do, is only natural. And that's where we don't have to explain the why, when, how, and the many ifs. Yeah, we can speak our language or do the sports that we like, uh, and we feel much more comfortable with uh, that surrounding and that group. And that is where we gather our energy and the confidence also to take the next steps. Of course, there are also those who stay in this kind of bubble for many, many years, and that is actually not so healthy. That's why um, we should always take some steps into the stretching the zone. That is the, the zone that comes after the comfort zone. And here I, uh, I quote actually studies from Yerkes and Dutson, the Yerkes and Dutson law, so to say. So the stretching zone is the zone where we can grow and where we can reach peak performance. But not too long or we shouldn't actually stretch ourselves too much to end up in the panic zone because that comes after that. And like the name says, we would panic, we would freeze or run or maybe burn out. So a bit of bubble every now and then is necessary for a healthy balance in my opinion. So you may wonder what does this has to do with the communication skills, right? Well, expressing our needs our doubts and fears as part of what we need to be able to share and function in a healthy way. So talking about emotions across cultures and languages, for example, it's not easy as it seems. Just think about when someone asks you uh, in English, how are you? And you say, fine. Yeah. But actually you would like to say how you really feel <laughs> and you would like to talk for hours maybe. But you know that it is not the conventional way one replies to this question when speaking English. So you say fine, but you might need awful or terrible, tired, or you mean fantastic, so you choose. Usually it's the intonation and the context that tells you more about how this fine should be interpreted. Um, are there any tips like how we can bond meaningfully outside of our comfort zone exactly in those cases that you mentioned where can we find all this wisdom you have to offer us in a way oh my there are many many groups on uh, on facebook twitter wherever you you want to reach out for people and everyone is different uh some some prefer meeting maybe in meetup groups or intonations etc but uh, if you want to connect through me i'm always uh, very happy to connect people it's something that i'm really passionate about so you can uh, find me on my website which is international lounge or i have also a facebook group with the same name or multilingual families plural it's also my facebook another facebook group or on linkedin i will link all those at the description box of uh, this podcast wherever you're listening from spotify apple Podcasts, um or youtube channel you will find all the information but i guess it's easy to remember with this international lounge um for this interview we would like to learn more about you as a person next to what you do And this is something we do with all our pearls. So for this part of our conversation, I'm going to ask you 
to describe the meaning you assign to three objects. Uh, three objects which I've asked you to bring for the purpose of this interview. And the first one is an item that is always on your desk. <laughs> an item that is always on my desk is my computer. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, yes, my computer and a notebook uh, where I write with a pen, so in a very conventional way, and where I tick off the things that I need to do. The computer, I think, it has become more and more important. I mean, it makes sense. So all our information are there. It's probably uh, the yeah a common experience for everyone nowadays. And plus, our laptops now are the way we communicate with people. Throughout the pandemic, this was our office, um, our family gathering um, yeah. tool. So, um, yeah, definitely uh, all of us relate to that. Yeah, it's, it's somehow the window to the world now. Exactly, that's what it is. Um, next, I'll ask you to bring an item that is always at your bedside table. Okay, at my bedside table, I always have my Kindle <laughs> and a glass of water. <laughs> um, I, I tend to have clients also all over the world, so sometimes I, I work also later in the evening. And for me to, to wind down a little bit, I need to read, so it's, it's my, my way. And uh, I actually have a ritual, so in the evening I read my German novels. It's, it's a German time, somehow it, it calms me down. Maybe it, it reminds me of the lullabies, I don't know, might be. I just thought about this now. But uh, it's, it's somehow my, yeah, my, my comfort zone, so to say, <laughs> before going to sleep to, to read some chapters and to, yeah, to just enjoy reading, enjoying uh, the world of, uh, of the book, of the novel. Are there no, oh, there are novels, so, uh, because my question was like, are they non-fiction or fiction or memoirs or what do you enjoy more? No, they, they have to be fiction somehow because during the day I already read a lot of non-fiction, so in the evening it's my non, it's my uh, fiction time. Um, yes. Finally, I've asked you to describe for us a, a photograph um, that you maybe framed and it has a special meaning or, or, or a nice story behind it for us. Yes, uh, well, nice question. One photograph or can it be more? <laughs> as much as you like. <laughs> okay, because then I, I would rather think about uh, a calendar uh, with photographs that my sister-in-law sends us every year. So uh, she takes fantastic pictures. She should be a photographer, but she does it on the side. Well, uh, and there is always a huge picture per month. So it's not a small one, but it's a really big one. And um, what I love in her pictures is that they are zooming in in what she sees on her daily walk, so to say. So. It helps somehow to, to see the many facets and the details there that, that otherwise get unnoticed. And I like that. I like this, this kind of pointing out things that all of a sudden then become huge. They become important. Yeah, uh, I like this, this, uh, this correlation between the little object that you otherwise or the detail that you otherwise wouldn't even notice. But through her lens, you see it and it becomes something new. I like that. Um, yeah. 
I mean, that reminds me, it's um, basically the idea of Instagram, if you think about it in a way, because the first time I remember myself using Instagram, I would take close-ups of leaves, fallen leaves, for example, and that would say something not only you know it's not just a nature picture it's how i feel at the moment is what i see is why i find that interesting it's very artistic I, i can see why i can see why you say that definitely it's artistic and it's very particular to the person who's actually taking the picture so absolutely yes but i think there is also a little bit of connection with what i do because i like to to dive in and to zoom in and to see the details and not to stay at the surface but to to find out the the little connections that makes things for me much more interesting <laughs> thank you so much this this discussion together has been informative and inspiring in so many ways thank you very much you made my day <laughs> thank you very much elena and also lilian and dutch buzz It was a real pleasure and I'm your follower anyways, so it's mutual. Thank you so much. It is mutual. This was Dr. Ute Limahey-Bolt, Intercultural Language and Communication Consultant and Trainer. And I'm Elena Giola for Dutch Buzz. Dutch Buzz, your weekly dose of inspiration from some of the city's special people.